0: We're going to be in Matthew chapter uh, 21 tonight. We'll pick up. We'll be starting in verse 23. Let me give you guys just a little bit of background as we're as we're starting here. Jesus has left uh, the region of Galilee. He's uh, he left the Galilee. He's traveled down the Jordan Valley. He's He's kind of begun up a, a ridge there. He's gone through Jericho, and he's come into Jerusalem. We've already, we've already seen the triumphal entry where he rode the donkey into Jerusalem. We've already watched him or heard him, read about him, cleansing the temple, cleaning out, the, the, driving off the money changers and he's continuing his ministry there, and we're in the final week of his life. He doesn't have a lot of time left, uh, and he's, as he continues his ministry, he's got a lot left to share with the disciples, a lot left to share with us, and I think we're going to continue to gain and bear a lot of fruit as we study uh, with him. So let's pick up in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 21. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching, and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? So the scripture here tells us he's on his way into the temple, or he came into the temple, or he's in the temple. He's he's right there somewhere in the temple, and he could be uh, coming up on the south side of the temple there's a set of steps, it's known as the southern steps and when we visit Israel we, we spend some time on these southern steps and uh, and the actual, the first century steps are there, they're present, you can walk up them, you can sit on them, the same uh, stones that Christ would have walked on, you can you can walk on and sit, we always do a little Bible study there so he could have been right there, they're, they're known as the teaching steps, so he could have been right there in that area, the southern steps, or he could have been on up on the temple mount, there was a uh, Solomon's porch kind of surrounded it. he could have been in that area, but either way he their teaching. There's people that are gathering around him. There's probably a larger group gathering in the way that I imagine it. Uh, people were very interested in what he was saying, what he was doing, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a ruckus in the crowd. And all of a sudden the, the chief priests and the, and the elders, are, they're coming through, they're, they're working their way through the crowd, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, right in the middle of his teaching, and, and that would be kind of rude, I would think, but they want to get to the front because they want to, they want to confront him while he's teaching, and their hope is to stump him. They want to put a question out. They want to give him something that he can't answer. They want, to, they want to try to get him to say something wrong. And as they push through the crowd, I can just imagine as he stops his teaching, he glances at them like, what do you want? And their questions are this, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Now, what things were they talking about? All he was doing was standing there teaching. They're talking about all they'd heard him doing. They're talking about calming the sea. They're talking about calming the wind. They're talking about casting out demons. They're talking about healing the sick and the lame and feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. All the things. How are you doing all this? Now, shouldn't it be obvious how he's doing it all? But to them, they're trying to stump him. They're trying to get him to say something wrong. They want to know what authority is it? Who's, Who's giving you this authority? and Jesus answers them in verse 24 and he said to them I also will ask you one thing which if you tell me I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things so Jesus says all right i'm going to ask you a question i'm going to ask you something and if you will answer my question then i will answer your question i will tell you by what authority i am doing these things now his authority should really be obvious because If someone in authority, if someone underneath of someone in authority asks them a question and say, listen, I'm going to ask you a question. And you say, well, I'm going to ask you a question first. If the person that's asking the question is higher in authority than the one they're asking, what do they say? I asked you first. You you don't have the authority to overrule my question. You have to answer it. But Jesus says, no, no, I'm not doing it that way. They know they're underneath of him by the fact that they, 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 they have to answer his question. They have to figure out what's he talking about. So he says, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you answer my question, if you give me an answer, then I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So here's his answer. Here's his question. Verse 25. He says, the baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? Now that should be pretty easy, shouldn't it? So he asks them, he says, listen, guys. I understand you want me to tell you what authority and it should be obvious by now, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, but I, I got to ask you guys a question. You tell me, John the Baptist, his baptism, it was a baptism under repentance, that he called the people to be baptized under repentance there in the Jordan River. Where was that from? Was that from man or was it from heaven? And by heaven, he's indicating, did it come from God? Where did it come from? And it says there in verse 25, they reasoned among themselves, saying... If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, meaning the people, for all count John as a prophet. So they're stumped. They go, wait a minute, we, we're not sure how to answer this. He only gave us, there's only, this is not even for multiple choice, There's only two. It's either A or B. It's either heaven or men. You answer the question. you got 50-50 shot at getting it right. And they go, wait a minute, we, if we say it's from heaven... If we say that John's baptism, what John, that he was sent from heaven, then the next, day he's going to ask us why we don't believe him. So we can't say that. Well, if we say that he's from men, then all these people over here, they're going to get really mad at us because they think he's a prophet and they're going to want to stone us. So we can't say that either. So we've got to come up with a, a better, we've got to come up with a more intelligent answer. And they did. So they answered Jesus and they said, We do not know. That's their answer. We do not know. These are the chief priests, okay? That means there was more than one chief priest. There would have been one current reigning chief priest and perhaps another past chief priest and maybe a future chief priest there. These are the chief priests and the elders, the leaders of Israel. They ask him, they, what authority do you get this? He goes, all right, I'm just gonna ask you a simple Bible question. It's Bible trivia. John's baptism, heaven or man? Uh-oh, we don't know. What do you mean you don't know? All the people are watching, Remember? They're all, okay, this is going to be a good one to see. What are they they going to say? And their answer is, we do not know. What was their problem? They were trying to be politically correct. They weren't looking for truth. They didn't want to offend somebody. They they, They were afraid if they offended the people, the people weren't going to listen to them anymore. They were going to leave. They were going to not listen, not follow them anymore. So we can't say that because they like John the Baptist. They believe that John the Baptist is a prophet. If we say that, we'll offend them. They're concerned about the people. We don't want them to not follow us anymore. We want them to like us. Political correctness is the death of a pastor. If you try to be politically correct in your teaching, you're trying to impress the people and you're not teaching the truth. Well, Rob, what if the people would all leave from the church someday? If you had to, if you might say something wrong and everyone would leave. Listen, if I was to say something wrong and it was in accordance with God's word and you were to leave, that's your problem, not my problem. Well, then no one would be a church. Well, that's okay too. That, 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 that's not my problem. The, God brings the people to the church. But he's so, they're so concerned about being politically correct. We're going ha- to give that answer. We don't know. You see, here's the other problem if they say heaven, that makes them a hypocrite, doesn't it? It's a, oh, and it's heaven. Well, then it's, you don't believe. That makes you a hypocrite. If they say it's from man, then the people aren't going to like us. That makes them cowards. Hypocrites are cowards. That's, that's their options. They should have said it was from heaven because it was. But instead, they come up with the brilliant answer of, I don't know. And sometimes there's a time to say, I don't know. Sometimes in life, there's a good, someone says, asks you a biblical question, and you go, I, I don't know the answer to that. I'll find out. I'm not sure. You don't want to ever act like you do and don't, but it's okay to say, I don't know once in a while. But they should have known. This wasn't a hard question. This was an easy question. The people all understood the answer to this question. Jesus understood the answer to this question. They knew the answer to this question. The truth was they were afraid to say the answer to this question. They say, I don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, who just got embarrassed in front of the crowd of people? The chief priests. He embarrassed them yesterday by driving out the money changers and driving out all the people that were buying and selling at the little yard sale they were having in the temple mount. And now he's embarrassing them again because he asks them a simple question that everybody standing in the audience would have known the answer to. They're all probably saying, you got this one. It's A. It's heaven. He came from heaven. You got it. But they, they, they say, I don't know. And Jesus says, all right you're not going to answer my question, I'm not going to answer yours. But do you see his position of authority over top of them? They recognize it. If he wasn't in a, in a position of authority over top of them, they would have said you have to answer our question first. Why was he out of, why did, did he have to demand authority? No, where did his authority came from? Come from. It came from his actions. It came from all the miracles that he had done. It came from the way he had treated people. It came from came from the way he was he was living. So he says, well, I'm not going to tell you what authority I do these things, although it should have been obvious to them. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on with his teaching. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. And he came to the second, and likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. So Jesus begins teaching them. How cool is that? They're coming to confront him. They don't have the answer to his question. They're not willing to say it. And rather than just make them look foolish and send them away, he continues teaching them. He continues to instruct them. He says, hey, what do you think? Let me me ask you another one. You didn't get that one. You you didn't get the where's John's Baptist from. Let me ask you another one. What do you think? A man has two sons. And he came to the first son. And he said to him, hey, son, I want you to go work in the vineyard today. And And the son said, no, I'm not going. I will not. I'm not going. Okay? But later it says he regretted it and went. Okay, I'll go. Then he came to the second son and he said to his second son, same father, second son, said, hey, son, I need you to go work in the vineyard today. I want you to go work in the vineyard today. He said, okay. But he never went. He never went. Which of the two did the will of his father? Which one did the will of his father? And the answer is simple. They got this one. They said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and harlots, enter the kingdom of God before you. And let me see if I can kind of explain that a little bit to you. The first son said the wrong thing, but then went on to do the right thing. The second son said the right thing, but then did the wrong thing. And we have a picture here. Sometimes in life, the people that come to Christ are living the wrong way. They're doing the wrong thing. But then they realize their mistake. They repent, and they come to believe on Jesus Christ. They were doing the wrong thing, and now they're doing the right thing. You can go, okay, he made a mistake. He learned from it. Now he's doing the right thing. But the second son, what'd the second son do? He, son, I want you to go work in the vineyard. Sure thing, Dad. Never went. Never got off the couch. Never laid on the rock, Whatever he, wherever he was. Never, never moved. All right, I'm, I'm going, Dad. He said the right things, but he was completely disobedient. But notice he was respectful about it. Yes, sir. He said, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going. Yes, sir. I'm going. But he did not Go. So Jesus turns after telling the story. He turns to them and says, "Which of the two sons did the will of his father?" And they said to him, "The first one." They got it right. They 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 answered the question right. And Jesus said to them, "Assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you." Can you imagine the shock? On the leaders' face, these are the church. These are the these are the church leaders. These are the they're leading the the, the, the chief priests, the elders. Perhaps they're probably members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish governing body. And he, Jesus looks at them, and he says, "Harlots, that's prostitutes and tax collectors. Everybody hated tax collectors. Why? Because they're it's like the IRS. They're 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 collecting money. But even in back in that day, they were crooked because they had to pay a certain amount. But everything they collected above what they had to pay, they got to keep." So they, the more they collected, the wealthier they became. And they were very wealthy, but they were known for always cheating the people. Nobody liked the tax collectors. There was no fairness. They took all they could get. And, and, and history tells us they taxed everything. Oh, you went fishing today? You got three fish? All right, there's taxes on all three of those fish. Oh, you got four. Oh, no, I see the one you're hiding there in the cooler. There's a tax on that too. Now, I know they didn't have coolers, but you, you get the idea. They were taxing everything, everything. They didn't like them. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, you're right. You're right. You leaders... This is you. You're like the second son. You say the right things. You say, okay, dad. Yes, sir. I'll do it. But there's no obedience in your life whatsoever. You're not, you're not living the way you're supposed to be living. At least the first son said, no, he was disobedient, but then he changed his ways. The second son says, I'll go, but he never goes. He says, that's the way that you are. And because of that, The tax collectors, the harlots, they're the ones who are living disobediently. But they've come and said, we're not doing that any longer. We've changed. They're going to get to the kingdom of heaven before you do. And then he answers the question that he asked them. Verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. And you did not believe in him. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the harlots they believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. You didn't afterwards do it. You saw it. John the Baptist came preaching a baptism, doing a, a baptism of repentance, calling people to repent from their sin. What you're living, what you're doing is wrong. And it's these tax collectors, it's these prostitutes. that Say, you know what? You're right. What we are doing is wrong. We we're going to repent. We're going to turn away. That's what the word repent means. We're going to turn away from those things and not do that anymore. But you, religious people, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. You didn't repent. You you figured we're okay because we're wearing the special clothing, because we have this title, because we have the status. You figure you're all right that way. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe in him. You didn't do it. You stayed the same way. You did not. In other words, you didn't regret it. You didn't regret what was happening in your life. You should have seen the errors. What do you do when something in your life that's perhaps sinful is revealed to you? Are you like the first son that says, man, no, I'm not, I'm not changing. But then eventually you go, you know what? That's wrong. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go walk in obedience to my father now. Or Are you like the second son who says, yeah, I'm good, I got it, that's cool. All words, no physical obedience. All saying the right thing, but when it comes to doing the right thing, oh, maybe in church on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday night, they're completely different. Different person. You see, the first son, he was wrong. Prostitutes, tax collectors, you name it. You put that in our. In, what's it look like in our society? All the people you, the, the people religious people would look at and go, no, they're they're horrible, filthy, rotten sinners. Yep. But every one of them that repented, believed on Jesus Christ, now has eternal life. But what happens to the upper class, perhaps? The people that have a lot. When the Lord puts it on your heart and says, you know that pride? That pride thing that's working in you, that really needs to be... No, that's fine. I don't need to worry about that. I'm not like them. I'm not like the tax collector. I'm not like the sinner. I'm just just proud of what I've accomplished in life. I'm just working hard on who I am. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll change that. But there's never a change made. It's just a continuation. You see, he never repents. He continues on. Will you go? Yeah, I'll go. He never goes. And Jesus shocks them by saying, harlots and tax collectors will get to heaven before you do. And then he answers their question. John came in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. You should have believed him. And then in verse 33, he gives the second parable to try to explain. There'll be a total of three. We're only going to cover two tonight. He gives the second parable. He says, hear another parable. In other words, let me explain it to you a different way. Let me give you another picture of what's going on. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and he set a hedge around it and that hedge would have been for protection. He dug a wine press in it and he built a tower and he leased it to the vine dressers, and he went into a far country. So the picture here is there's a guy, there's a person who owns some land He sets up a vineyard. He plants a vineyard. He puts a hedge around it for protection. He builds a tower so you can see over top of the hedge. The vineyard's growing. The grapes are growing. And he leases it to some vine dressers. I'm going to give you what I have and you're going to take care of it for me, but I'm going to come back for it someday. He leases it to the vine dressers. Verse 34, now when the vintage time grew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. So what's happening is the it's, it's harvest season. The, the grapes are ready. It's time to time to harvest them. So I'm going to send my landowner going to send his servants go, go go get some of those grapes at that at that vineyard I planted that we own. Go 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 down there and get some get some of those grapes for us. So it's it's time. It's harvest season, and the vine dresser took. Now the vintage time drew near. He sent his servants to the vine dresser that they might receive its fruit. Verse thirty five. And the vine dresser took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Wait a minute, that's my property. I've, I've paid you to take care of my, my stuff. I, I, you're, you're taking care of my stuff, and you're spo- I'm coming down for some grapes. They're my grapes. You, you're going to get your, your pay, but, but how does he treat the owner's servants? He beats one, he kills one, and he stones another. In other words, two are dead, one's beaten. He probably sent the one that was beaten back home with the information. Verse 36, again, he sent other servants, more than the first this time, they did likewise to them. Now, if you were the landowner and you were trying to claim your grapes on your property, how would you respond after the second group of servants were treated the same way as the first group? How would you, how would you, what would you do? What would it, would it be? Would, would you, what would you do next? What would be the next step that you would do? For me, i all the big guns are coming out. We're getting every, all the, all the firepower. We're going down and solve this problem. We're going to take matters into our own hands. That's not what the landowner does. What's the landowner do? He's going to send his son. He's going to send his son. Verse 37, then last of all, he sent his son to them saying, they will certainly, they will respect my son. If I send my son, he's a representation of me. They're going to respect him, aren't they? They've got to respect my son. They're going to respect my son. Verse 38. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. This is, this is, this is the son. He, he's, this is all going to be his someday. We're going to be working for him. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. I know, we'll kill him. We'll wipe him out. And then we can keep this. If we kill the son, dad's not sending anybody back. But we'll just, this will become ours. Let's do that. Verse 39 So they took him and they cast him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Remember, he's talking to the leaders, to the chief priests and the elders. He tells them the story. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to the owner of the vineyard who sends his set of servants? and they're dead. Sends another set of servants, they're dead. He sends his son, they're dead. What's going to happen, guys? What's going to happen to them? Look what they look what they respond. Verse 41. Then they said to him, "He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to another vine dresser who will render to him the fruits in their season." That's their answer. He's going to destroy them. He's going to come back. He's going to kill them. He's going to take that vineyard. He's going to find some new people to take care of it. Make sense to you? Wouldn't you do the exact same thing? What's this parable mean? You see, there's an incredible meaning here. Let me just fill you in on who the characters are. The landowner, that's God. It's his. The vineyard, that's the nation Israel. There are several times in the Old Testament, uh, Psalms chapter 80, Jeremiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 5, Israel's referred to as a vineyard, to God's vineyard. The vineyard, that's Israel. The servants that he sent, those are the prophets of old. Israel didn't listen to the prophets of old. What did they do to them? They killed them. Many of them were killed. And the son, who was that? It's Christ. That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. He tells them he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. Luke gives us a little more insight. No, it's not going to happen. Certainly it's not going to happen. Can't happen that way because right about now their minds clicking Right about now, they're realizing, wait, 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 hold on a second. The nation Israel, that's us. Uh, the vine dressers, the, 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 wait a minute, that's, that's us. We're those wicked vine dressers that have killed the prophets. We're the wicked vine dressers that have killed the son. And we know they will, they haven't yet. They're getting that. Luke says they respond, certainly not. No, 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 that's, that it can't happen. He's not going to take that vineyard away and give it to somebody else. Now don't we know that's exactly what happened? Jesus, that was known as the time of the Gentiles, from the Jews who rejected him to the time of the Gentiles, to the Gentiles. And then Jesus, as they begin to protest, as they begin to say, no, it's not going to happen that way. And if you're just wondering, uh, it's Luke chapter 20 that tells us, they say, certainly not. Like it can't happen. Jesus says in verse 42 here, have you never read the scriptures? Aren't you aware of what's supposed to take place? Didn't you read the scriptures about what's coming next? Aren't you aware of this? Then he tells them where they should be reading Psalm 118. He said, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The stone, that's the Messiah. That's Christ, that's the son, which the builders, that's the Jewish leaders, rejected. He's going to become the chief cornerstone. He has become the chief cornerstone. This is all playing out. He's telling them all of this before it happens. He's, he's filling it in. This is what Psalm 18 means. And that, this was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. In other words, you guys are going to reject the Messiah. You're going to reject him. But he's going to become the chief cornerstone. What's built upon the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ? The church. The church is what's built upon him. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation of the church. And the church is built upon him. You're going to reject him, but there's going to be something built upon him. God's hand is moving from the Jews to the Gentiles. He's not done with them. He will finish with them later. But there's a time of the Gentiles that's coming in. This is what Jesus is kind of explaining to them. Now, just this I thought this was kind of cool. Maybe you didn't know this, maybe you do know this. When he says the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Does anybody know what comes next after that? If you were to turn you don't need to turn there, but if you were to turn to Psalm 118, the very next verse says, "This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it." Why? Because the Messiah is on the scene. They would have known that. Is they, would, they would have known this scripture in their head. He's talking to the chief priests, the leaders. He would, they, they would have continued. You ever have anybody quote you a scripture and they only quote part of it and your mind keeps going? Because you know what the rest of it is, because you know it. They would have known what Psalm 118 said. So as Jesus would have said, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was marvelous. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Their mind would have said, this is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Naturally, it happens that way. If you know the scripture, you're going to continue hearing it. And then he tells them in verse 43, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. In other words, the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people. I'm taking it from you. It's going to be taken away from you, and it's going to be given to another nation. Who's the other nation? The Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. There was only two. You're either Jewish or non-Jewish. You're Jewish. So if, if you are Jewish, you fit under the Jewish world. If you are anything else, you're considered a Gentile. So he's saying, I'm taking. You know, in, in looking back, when you look back to the Old Testament, the Jews were supposed to represent God to the rest of the world. They were supposed to be the one that they showed the rest of the world how powerful and mighty their God was. Instead, they closed him in. They, they, Remember, they set up a flea market in the court of the Gentiles. They didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. They despised the Gentiles. And the Lord says, because you've done this, I'm taking it away from you, and I'm going to give it to a nation that's going to, uh, is going to bear the fruits of it. Remember last week, the fig tree. What was the fig tree missing? Fruit. Jesus cursed the fig tree because it didn't bear Fruit. He said, I'm going to give it to a nation that's going to bear the fruits of it. Now, how do you think they responded? Verse 45. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. There's no question about who he They knew who he was talking to. They realized what he had said. And they sought to lay hands on him. They feared The multitudes, because they took him for a prophet. Once again, they feared what the people would do. What if he really wasn't the Messiah? Wouldn't they have an obligation to lay hands on him and and get him out of there and not let him teach in the church? Why would you let a in, in the temple rather? Why would you let a false teacher teach? You should now. I'm not saying they should kill him, but they should move him out of there. They shouldn't be there. I know. I've never had to do it, but I have several pastor friends that have had people teaching at their church and had to walk up right in the middle of it and stop them from teaching walk up right in the middle because what they were teaching wasn't true and they they would they will how did you do that you have no choice it's hard you have to go up and interrupt them and be as nice as you can but you cannot let them continue spewing false doctrine to people who are trying to learn god's word you have an obligation to go say something and do something about it. you cannot let it continue I've never had to do it. maybe I will someday. I, hopefully you know the person that's going to teach before it happens. Hopefully you, you can trust him. But if, if he wasn't the Messiah, they should have moved him out of there and not let him do it, but instead, they're still afraid of the people. They're still afraid. What are the people? The people really like him. The people really care about him. I don't think we should, we should bother him. Let's just let the people no, 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 the people they think he's a prophet. Who cares what the people think? They're not interested in the truth. They're interested in the people. They want to keep their their, their business running. They want to keep their their, their, their religious system operating the way, that it's, the way that it has been, because it's benefiting them financially. They want to keep everything just status quo. No interest in truth whatsoever. He, they sought to lay hands on him. They feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. This is the second. Of three parables that Jesus is going to use to answer the question that he asked them, the original question he asked them was the baptism of John. Where was it from? Heaven, or from men? And then he told them in verse thirty-two, "For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him." And now in the second parable, he's again telling them, "Hey, God, he's the he owns the vineyard. You guys are the You're the vine dressers." I've sent my prophets to you. You've killed them. I've sent my son to you. Now we know it's only less than a week where they would kill the son of God as well. What's going to happen? And by their own response, what did they say? They said, I would go destroy that vine dresser. I would throw him out and get someone in there that could take care of my property. That's what Jesus said. That's exactly what's going to happen. I've given you the things of God. I've given you the ways of God. But you have not bared the fruit of God. And now I'm going to come take that away from you. I'm going to pass it on to the Gentiles, all those who believe on Jesus Christ. Understand this because going forward from chapter 22, 23, and 24, we're going to continue looking towards end times things. This is a prophetic thing. He's telling you the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It's the Lord's doing. He's telling you ahead of time. he's, He's telling, I am going to be, I am the one. I'm the Messiah. I'm showing it to you. Did I skip a verse there? I did. Let's go back to verse 43. I can't skip that. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And verse 44 says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. What does that mean? And then he went on to say, now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Whoever falls on this stone, who's the stone? The stone is Jesus Christ, right? Whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Some people look at this and they would say, well, if you fall on Jesus Christ, you're going to have a broken life. I don't think that's what he's saying here. And and, and I've heard that taught that way before. I think what he's saying is whoever trips over this stone, you're going to be broken. That word broken means broken to pieces. It means shattered. you, You reject this stone, meaning of himself, you're going to be shattered. And if you, but on whomever it falls. In other words, you're going to trip over me. It's going to shatter you. But someday you're going to be crushed by it because you're going to face the judgment. It's, he's referring to you're going to fall on the stone. In other words, the leaders were falling on the stone. They were falling over Jesus Christ right then and there. And then in the future, they would be crushed by it. They would be destroyed by it. In other words, he's telling them the consequences of what they're doing. This is what's coming in your life. If you what you do with this stone, what you do with the rock of Jesus Christ matters. You can say, no, no, I don't want that. That's not for me. No, thank you. That's fine. You're, you're going to trip over that stone, and someday that very stone will be the thing that crushes you, that sentences you to eternity in hell apart from him forever. Or the stone can be the thing where you place your, place your feet, stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. You can believe on him. He can, you can receive salvation on him. You have that choice. He's telling them the consequences of their actions, the fact they've rejected the stone. They've, now they're tripping over the stone but it will eventually fall on them and it will grind him into powder. They will be broken into pieces. He's warning them. He's warning them. He's telling them this is what's going to take place. So I guess we're not going to look at chapter 22 tonight. There's one more parable that he's going to use. We'll pick that up next week. I don't have time to cover it, um, so we'll finish a little bit early. But I guess the question that we should kind of ponder in our hearts, a couple of questions maybe, maybe, Which son are you? Which son are you? Are you the first son who has done wrong and now you're walking in obedience? Or are you the second son who says the right things? Acts like you're walking in obedience? Even polite, but complete disobedience in your life? I would ask you, I would encourage you to repent. Where do you think that Jesus' authority is coming from? That's what the scribes asked him. That's what the leaders, where where is your authority coming from? Who gave you this authority? You know, that's a question that we have to answer ourselves. Where do you think his authority came from? You you can't really deny that he lived because history tells us that. But where where does his authority come from? If you say his authority came from God, do you treat his word that way? Or is it just passive? It's just, well... I'm more like the second son. Yeah, his authority came from God, but are you walking in obedience? No, not really. So you're like the second son. And what will you do with the rock? What do you do with Christ? Is he your savior? Has he delivered you from your sin? Or are you tripping over him? You don't want anything to do with him. That's a choice that we get to make. You see, the implication here is that Jesus is taking, he's in the process of presenting himself to the Jewish people. Is their Messiah and they're gonna reject him and he says all right I'm gonna present myself to the Gentiles they will accept him now the wonderful thing is is I don't believe that Jesus is done with the Jews many people think that at this point in time after this happens the Jews Jesus was done with them and all of his promises to Israel now transfer to the church it's called replacement theology I don't believe that I believe Jesus is going to pick back up where he left off because the scriptures tell us there's a there's a time of the Gentiles There's a a dispensation of grace, we would call it. There's a time where we can ask God for forgiveness, and he says, I'll grant it to you. I will clothe you in my righteousness. I will will put my garments on you, and we'll see that next week in the next parable. I will clothe you. And then, at some point in the future, beginning with the great day of the Lord, which starts with the rapture of the church, God will turn his focus back to Israel, and he'll begin bringing them back home, those that would believe on Jesus Christ. They wouldn't be saved because they're Jewish. They'll be saved because they realize we missed the Messiah however many years ago it was. What do you do with it? Will you take and believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior? Or will you trip over him? It's a choice you get to make. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be like that second son. I pray that we wouldn't just acknowledge you with our lips, but we would acknowledge you and live our lives for you. <clears throat> Lord, we need your help to do that. Father, if there's things in our life that need to change, may we not just say, yeah, we know. Instead, may we walk in obedience. It's better to be living a life of disobedience and then come to obedience than think that we're fine. Lord, may our lives truly be focused on living after you and may you have your way in our heart ministering to us teaching us and growing wherever we're at lord may you meet us right where we're at and father if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you would tonight be the night that they decide to give their life to you may they come to you and ask you for the forgiveness of sins may they believe on you for salvation and may they begin a walk with you that would not end until the day that they see you face to face